welcome to the Digital Broker Podcast with me, Ryan Deeds, where we help agents and brokers drive profitability through operational excellence. Welcome to another episode of the Digital Broker. Super glad that you're listening. Thank you to Indio for putting it on. I'm Ryan Deeds, your host. Indio has, has graciously helped educate insurance agencies across the nation um, by bringing this podcast to you guys. So if you don't know who Indio is, you really should check them out, www.useindio.com. Super cool technology. It'll make you look forward thinking. Your clients will actually think you have your act together, which is a good thing. Today, I'm, I'm, I'm over the moon. I was at a conference, and when we, we talked about conferences a couple uh, episodes ago, but I was at a conference called Dig In. I got invited to this dinner for founders. I was kind of just a, a fly on the wall, but I met this really, really cool cat named Ron Glozman, who started a company called Chisel.ai, and they're just kind of eating the world right now and taking unstructured data to a structured format. And I thought today would be really cool to kind of walk through the origin story with Ron because I think it's unique as heck. And I think that the motivation behind companies drives me. And then I think that I, having him kind of explain the startup story and what does that look like going through InsureTech and all that jazz? I mean, it's a hard thing to break into. So Ron, thank you for being with me today, man. It's awesome to have you and uh, happy day, bro. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Ryan. And thank you, India, for putting this on. Uh, glad that we can connect and chat about this stuff. Um, I know when we were down and digging, you and I bonded and had quite a few interesting conversations. So happy to get one or two of them on the record and just chat about AI and a little bit about Chisel. Absolutely, man. And so like, walk me through this because it was, it's, it's very different than any of the stories that I've heard. You know, walk me through how this thing came to be. You know, how did this start? Where did it come from? Um, you know, what was, what was the origin of, of what now is known as Chisel, which I'm sure at the very beginning, Pat, you had no conception of that. That's right. So looking back, it's been about six and a half years ago, coming up on seven shortly, um, since I initially started working on the origin idea, which at the time uh, was uh, an app actually under the name Note, which stood for Knowledge Technology. And so the concept of the app was I was a student uh, studying computer science and business up at the University of Waterloo, which many people consider the MIT of Canada. And as I was studying computer science, I started to realize that, especially in some of my business courses, the textbook was quite a bit larger than the final exam. We're talking a ratio of hundreds of pages to maybe one page of exam questions. So I said to myself, my current study method is to read a textbook basically create a summary of each chapter and then when exam season comes around study my notes and that's basically what i'll do so i said what if i could automate that process and actually teach a computer how to read understand what's important and generate summaries for me on the fly so that instead of reading hundreds of pages of a textbook i get one page per chapter being a computer scientist i quickly set to work on this and in about four months i had my first prototype which you know, was successful enough to the point where I was able to uh, take more time to hang out and relax and spend a little bit less time in the classroom. Now, I was being productive and following some of my entrepreneurial pursuits during this time. And eventually, about eight months in, after my friends had heard about it and asked me to put it out uh, on the Google App Store at the time, 
um, which after two weeks, it went viral. We're talking 33 countries, 44 of the top Ivy League schools in the world were using it, like Princeton, Stanford, Harvard, Yale, Russia, China, India, uh, you name it. So you gotta, we gotta, we, we gotta slow down because you gotta walk me through some of this real quick. Okay, so let's let's first. You said some, something that I think a lot of our our listeners probably have a hard time conceptualizing. So you're sitting there at night, you're studying, you're recognizing that you don't have scalability in in, in the study thing. I mean, really, when you look at the problem of it, I've got a huge book to read and I have a multitude of books to read, and I only have the time that I have allocated. And how do I scale that effectively? So you kind of said that's my problem. I know technology to some extent, but this is before a lot of the, the modern AI APIs and all this other stuff was created. And so you conceptualized at that point in time how to teach, a, you were like, I can, I can get a computer to read this. I mean, were you going through courses that had already delved into getting them to pick up the, the, the letters and stuff like that? No, I mean, uh, you hit the nail on the head. When I was doing this, this was around 2013. Um, this was before some of the major breakthroughs. And so what I was doing was actually um, a lot of statistical techniques, not so much deep learning. Deep learning and some of the neural networks that are commonplace today weren't really around back then. And so I, I studied on some white papers that I found on the internet. I found some open source technologies that people were using at the time to do some of this text analysis. And really, I just thought about the way I, I did it myself. And so th I eventually came up with 21 different factors that would affect the score. And so what I would do is I would score every single word. Then I would do a cumulative score of a sentence and then a cumulative score of a paragraph followed by a page. And, and so the and, way it works for being like weighted based on the, the pertinence to the overall to the overall knowledge base of that chapter? Is that how you do that? You, you got it. I mean, this, so there were actually, that's okay. three factors that you're talking about. So there's okay. this term at the time that we were using called TFIDF, which stands for term frequency inverse document frequency. <laughs> and so what that basically means is given what we call a large corpus or a large collection of, of, of textual writings, in this case specifically, I would train it on business because I was teaching it to read business books, um, it would go through and basically understand how frequently words were used. So let's say the word supercalifragilistic espialidocious appears one in a million times in, a, in the average sort of use of the writing. So if in a sentence or in a, a group of writing that is one million words long, you see it one time, that's expected. But if you see it, call it twice, then it's twice statistically significant or the inverse. And so by knowing how often you should expect each word to see, you could determine which sentences were more important simply because they had a higher concentration of rare words or the exact opposite. If you expected to see a word 10 times and you only saw it once, that sentence must be really important because I mean, it only appeared once when it should have appeared 10 times. And so for, uh, lay, for lay people, it's like I, I identify A and the and it. We rip that crap out of there. They don't really mean anything. The, the rest of the, the words that are there, I'm kind of scanning through and I'm picking out uh, the frequency and then making some weight based on the frequency for that ultimately. That's right. And that's, that's one of the factors. And so you okay. do that across the document. You do that across multiple documents. And you quickly start to understand you know, what pieces and what pages contain the really important information.
That's awesome. And so then, okay, so now, so then you go into your little lab, you nerd out, you're, you're, I mean, what, you're doing this at nighttime and just kind of banging this thing out and just iterating through it personally until you get it to a place that you're like, hey, this thing actually is working. Is that, is that kind of how you did that? Did you have a team or was it just you and kind of skunk working it, uh, passion project thing? You got it. I mean, I started this in my first year of university um, and I worked on it for two years up until third year, halfway through when I dropped out to do this full time. And during that time period, it was an app for students. But as I was starting to make the transition into doing this full time, I came to the realization along with some mentors that, um, you know, unfortunately, the student market, although it's lucrative, education is, of course, a huge field and people will rack up massive amounts of debt. Um, it's very difficult to sell them apps and nobody's interested in buying a $1 app or having a subscription. And so um, we were thinking about other industries we could enter. I actually did some work. We tried to bid on some government contracts. That was interesting, but you faced some some procurement issues, namely the fact that the government is a sole procurer. And so you, there's a very competitive RFP process. You can't really negotiate based on price. And so uh, after trying that, we tried the legal market for a little bit, uh, because of course, if you can read and summarize information very quickly, that's something you would imagine lawyers are interested in. Our learning there was that because of billable hours, it actually was not in the lawyer's interest to be more efficient so that they could jack up their billings. I think nowadays, you know, they have some fixed fee rates that are coming out. And so that might change. But really, uh, insurance was the home run for us. I was invited to come and speak about natural language processing, which is our, our core area of expertise. And the audience member, one of the people in the audience was a senior VP at a major brokerage uh, or agency. And after I finished my presentation, she sent me an email saying, hey, I know this is just an app for students, but I think this can really help the insurance world. And so uh, for the past three and a half years, we've been working on configuring that base technology that I developed into what we now know as Chisel. Um, and just sort of to come full circle, I haven't personally written any code in more than three years. So that I take that sort of as a sign of pride, even though it's something that I love to do. Um, I think it's a testament to our team and their ability to carry on this, this product. Yeah, I haven't written code in a little while either. I mean, I've, I've done a little bit with Assurex, but not much. And so one day, maybe like two bad programmers can get together and build something terrible together. You, know? <laughs> you got to walk me through a moment, though. So I mean, all right, so you build this thing, you test it out, you, you, you get your, your friends are digging it. And at some point, you say, I'm going to put this on the Google app store right so you go through the process of submission and all that jazz what did you expect i mean what was that at night walk me through that 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 moment when you were doing that and then kind of the the progressive next week or month or whatever when you were like holy crap yeah so i mean the intent there was literally just my friends were like hey how do i how do i get this and it was a little too complicated for sort of the average person for me to explain how to stand up a server and use a local machine to host it. And so that I said, no, no worries. I'll put it out at the time as a Google Chrome plugin. And so I put it out there and it got 160 or 180 downloads the first week. So basically, you know, a good chunk of my Facebook friends and my close friends who, who heard about this went online and downloaded and nothing really else happened for two weeks. And then I remember I wake up um, and I can track down the exact day, but I wake up, I believe it's sometime in like 
July, August uh, timeframe. And the app had made it to product hunt. Um, and for those who aren't familiar with Product Hunt, Product Hunt is a relatively established publication based out of San Francisco. Uh, it's like a website that every 24 hours has a competition for coolest app of the day. And people can nominate the app, and you're only allowed to nominate it once. And so on that day, somebody happened to nominate our app, and it, it basically went viral. We finished up at number nine top app for that day, which means it drove tens of thousands of users to our website. That day alone, we had over 2,000 registered users sign up for the app, spanning 33 countries. And that's really the moment of ignition. Immediately, how, I, how did you feel? I mean, like, okay, because, you know, so you went two weeks. So you were probably like, eh, you know, maybe this thing didn't do it. I mean, or were, were you in a pretty good place with it? Or were you like, hey, it works for me? Uh, and, or did you, did, you know, because that's a big difference, right? You go two weeks, really three weeks out, you have 160 users, 200 users, something like that. And then bam, product time hits. I mean, that day must have been an insane day for you emotionally. And then at the end, I mean, did you go out and get hammered blitzed? I mean, what did you, you know, what was that like for you? You know, walk me through that, that, that evening. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'll tell, you, I'll tell you for sure it wasn't like a big party. Um, no, I mean, I was, my intent was always just for it to be an app for myself, putting it on the app store. It's funny because at the time, Google required you to put down a $5 deposit to list an app. And I was even double, double guessing if it was worth it because I never <laughs> intended to make money. I'm like, $5, that really doesn't seem worth it for me to just put it out there for my friends. But at the end of the day, I bit the bull and I paid the $5. And looking back, it's just crazy to think how far that investment has come. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, we, I spent that day in front of the computer. I got a lot of bug reports, as you can imagine, the more users, the more the server loads and the servers weren't necessarily set up to handle that. There were some other bugs that I had to fix people. Uh, for example, the password reset, uh, I'd never actually finished it because there weren't that many people. So as soon as people started forgetting their passwords, they couldn't log in. So I had to track that down. But I do remember at the end of the day coming home. Um, with just, I was at the time I was, a, I was living in a house with five roommates, four roommates plus myself, and we just had a beer and we celebrated, but um, <laughs> awesome. it was by no means like a huge party. And there was no Ferrari on that day, right? That came later no. on in life, right? <laughs> so, so I wish I'm still waiting for the, for the Ferrari, but one day I am too. Cause then I get to go on a ride with it and that, that'll be an awesome day for both of us. <laughs> So then you get invited to talk about NLP and, and walk people through that. I mean, I don't know that our listeners have a fundamental understanding of what that is. Yeah. So NLP is one of seven subsections of, of AI, AI, artificial intelligence, as we know, it is a broad field uh, consisting of many different disciplines, visual. So teaching machines, how to read, there's understanding and there's others. And I'm happy to go further into that conversation. But on the broad level, natural language processing is the act of teaching computers how to read. And there is slightly differentiated from what most people think. Um, oftentimes when I come in and I meet with people, they say, oh, so you do OCR. And no, OCR is actually a different discipline under machine learning and under artificial intelligence. OCR is optical character recognition. For those who are unfamiliar, it's the ability for a computer to take like a scanned fax 
or some type of scanned document, run it through this optical character recognition process and create a digital replication. So converting the sort of scanned letters into digital letters. And that's a very complex problem in itself to solve and there's a lot of great companies working on it. What we specifically focus on is the understanding portion. So once you have a document that's digital, think about a PDF, a Word document, an Excel, something like that, it's the ability to understand and build relationships within it. So, and we do this to a much more granular level than other companies. So for example, you can go online today and you can use something like Google Cloud NLP and given a PDF document, it will tell you every single person or company that's named in that agreement. Now that's great and cool, but it's not very helpful, at least in the sense of insurance. You probably need to know who the actual underwriter of the risk is, who the agency or the brokerage in the risk is, and who the insured in this risk is, as well as many of their affiliates, if possible. And so we go a step beyond just telling you, well, these are the names that are listed. We can also understand the document, understand the relationships, it's and, the, and basically, the context, right? I mean, it's, it's the context in which the words are being used more than just the words, right? Exactly, okay. exactly. And so natural language processing is simply the act of teaching a computer how to read. Within it, there are several different verticals. Specifically, what we focus on is what is called content extraction and classification. So as I said, being able to identify all the names, but then going one step further and actually classifying them into what their relationships are. And, and one of the advantages of this is, like if I'm a human, I have a limited capacity to learn, right? I, I, the, 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 ultimately, my, I, will, I will get to a place where my knowledge level will cap out and I will need another person to be there with me. Right. And so as I look long term at the kind of the stuff that you're building, its ability to understand probably gets exponentially better year over year or however you do that terabyte of data over terabyte of data. Right. And I think that is an extremely important thing for our listeners to understand, because as some of this stuff is pretty far off, um, some of this stuff is really, really close. And the better, the, the, the faster you can start to leverage this stuff um, and figure out how it implements into your organization, the, the more ahead of the game you're going to be. I mean, this is stuff you're going to need to do. You have employees doing this crap today that's probably uh, falls into my soul sucking task category. And if you can bring in technology, effectively leverage it, spend the time and focus in the implementation correctly, you can really net real gain. And so, I mean, I just think that understanding that scale problem, just like you did in the very beginning with the business, uh, the book issue, you know, it's all about scale and this kind of technology, I think just, and we're going to see the, uh, the folks that leverage it can exponentially scale long-term where folks that don't will get stuck in a overhead kind of runaround. Exactly. And, and so I think this is actually the just the beginning to, to level set with everybody. I think um, we're still in the age of what a lot of people call the early adopters. Um, this will be followed by the early majority, followed by the late majority, and then finally the laggards, um, if you follow the philosophy of crossing the chasm. And so I think there's, this is the right time. It's the right Age, computing power is cheap enough, NLP and, and AI have gotten good enough, and I think it's just up to the organizations to 
um, identify where the business problems are. I will say that one downfall that I've seen is some companies do innovation for the sake of innovation. And so they try to come up with something cool and then find a business use for it. Um, I personally am of the opinion, yes, that it does not work. You need to start with a business problem and then find a solution for it rather than the other way around. Yeah, I mean, all you got to do is go ask your, your employees, what sucks about my job? They will give you a list and you solve those problems and now you're innovative. I mean, it, it's, you know, I, I agree with you. I think too often we get stuck in innovation being we need to go be a Tesla or an Apple or whatever. And it could just, it, it's simple iterative things that these agencies and organizations can do to make that better. Um, stepping back. So, so, okay. So you gave this presentation, you, an agency that, that was, must've been pretty well established said, Hey, we want to, we want to work together. So when you went to that conference, you had no indication at that point in time that you were going to maybe tiptoe into the insurance space. It was out of blue field. Um, I honestly was just there sort of as a favor and to promote the company, but I was still planning on developing it into an app for students. And so then, so then did they help kind of give you use cases to problems to solve? Is that, was that there probably, if you look at the contribution that they did to move you forward, was that, that, was that a big one? By far. I mean, it was, it was, um, the problem as well as basically the solution, at least in, in the sense of what they would like the solution to be. Um, so their problem is what we now end up calling policy check. Mm -hmm. um, and it's an errors and emissions mitigation, basically checking the expired policy to the renewal policy or checking the binder, the quote, you know, whatever documentation you might have against the policy to make sure that um, you're not liable for any ENO exposure. And so that was a process that they were using a team in-house to do. They were, you know, it's taking much longer than they would have liked it to be. And they were only able to spot check a small percentage of their book of business just because they had such a large volume. Right. And so, um, you know, we were able to help them identify all of those problems and really mitigate the risk, help them better secure their brand reputation and just help them offset what otherwise would have been, to, to your point, an unscalable process. I think that's really where we come in and where we try to focus is helping and making the unscalable scalable. And so, like, when, when you got done with that project, is that when Chisel was born or during the process of that? I mean, because you had this app, you had the idea for it, you, you knew that revenue generation was going to be um, there, but challenging. And so you pivot because this person, I mean, obviously at that point in time, you had no damn idea what ENO was or ENO mitigation was, right? This is all stuff that you've embraced in the insurance industry. You've dug in, you've tried to learn these problems so you can formulate the technology the most effectively to solve those problems. But then, I mean, is that when you came up with that name? I mean, how did that come to be? Oh, no, the, <laughs> the name is actually its own sort of small episode if I was ever to make you know a movie about this I would dedicate a chapter to it because so the, the name came in 2018 we officially changed our name on uh, January 1st 2018 um, so at, at the time this was I'm talking 2015 when we started working on this policy check solution it was still note we kept calling it note for two more years basically the name was a strategic move to better brand our company um, and it took us 
So we hired a brand consultant, um, a very famous brand consultant who actually came up with the name for the Cadillac Escalade. Hmm. And I remember it's funny because it's Cadillac's uh, best selling car of all time. And when he pitched the names, he said, well, somebody said, oh, it sounds like marmalade and everybody hates marmalade. So nobody's going to want to buy this car and all of this stuff. And at the end, um, now looking back, they all denied and they say, oh, I was the one who came <laughs> up with the name. And I love that name. But the honest truth, at least for us, was Chisel was one of the first 20 names presented to us. And I said, nope, that's not it. And we ended up going for another 119 names. And after he presented 119 names, I looked back and I said, you know what? I think Chisel was the right one. Because I, I get it, right? I mean, it, it's, it's smart. It's, you know, you're, you're getting stuff out, right? That's what you're doing. And so, yeah, I, I think it's, it's super smart. And so is this, is this stuff available to agencies right now? I mean, if they want to engage with Chisel AI to do policy checking, I mean, is that, is that something they have to be – you know, a certain size for, or, or can they shoot an email to you? Can they shoot an email to somebody on your team to start exploring that option? For sure. I mean, we'd, we'd love to chat always. Uh, today, our ideal sort of customer and just the way we're set up to handle businesses typically is brokering about a hundred million dollars or more in net written premiums. So I know it's a pretty high bar, when it comes to agencies and there aren't too many agencies that bill at that level, our intent is within the next year to go down market and have a standard SaaS offering that you can go online and register for yourself on our website. Um, that's, 10 right million, now, that's 10 million in revenue though. You know, that's a 80 to hundred person uh, place, right? Exactly. Can yeah, you explain why? Can you explain why? I mean, what's the, for a lot of our listeners are, are smaller shops. They, they, they are afraid of being competitively disadvantaged by not being able to leverage certain technologies like this. What's the, what's, why is that such a delineator for so many different insure tech companies? Yeah. Um, I wish it was a simple answer. I mean, there's a combination of factors. Um, the one that comes to mind is sort of the most pressing uh, is the fact that they typically do not do policy checking today. Just to be honest with you, most of the time when we meet a small agency, they might have one or two brokers, sometimes like maybe a handful of 10. And so it's either everybody does it or almost nobody does it. Um, only when you get to the upper scales is there a dedicated department or a dedicated person. And so it's hard for them to justify costs uh, when they don't have it as a line item today. That's what I hear most often is I don't have the budget for this um, and I can't offload or supplement one additional person because that person does more than just policy checking. Um, our goal is to make our solution extremely easy to use and, and make it so that you can go online and run you know, one transaction for a handful of dollars at your own pace and we'll be there in the next you know, year by the end of 2020 Today, we have a very large integration and onboarding process. A lot of it has to do actually with data security and compliance and regulations. Um, a lot of the big, big, big agencies that we work with are multinational. We deal with a lot of complex issues regarding data retention. And so while we're focusing on that, we're not having the time to go down market. But it is the intent in the next 12 months to do it. Um, if people want to check it out, we actually have some documentation, and I believe there's a demo video on YouTube. If you go to chisel.ai, 
that's our YouTube name and our website, chisel.ai, um, and you look up policy check, you can find out some more specifics there. And if I'm, a, if I'm an agency that's 10 million and above, I am doing policy checking. I have three employees on this thing and it's, they, they hate it. Do they do the same thing? Just go to the website and kind of walk through that and there'll be a contact form or is there an easier way to, to, to initiate that? Yeah. So there's a, there's a contact form, but I recommend using the demo request form. The contact form takes you into an email that is monitored by our, our sort of HR and operations team. If you hit the request demo, go straight to our sales team and somebody should follow up with you, you know, within 24 to 48 hours. That's probably the fastest. And of course, I love to travel just like you. And so I'll be down at ITC later this year. We'll have a nice big booth. Come check us out. You know, happy to chat, shake your hand, discuss your problems more in depth. Buy me drinks. I mean, that's, that's like top of the list, right? Buying me drinks is, is got to be pretty high up there because I'm going to be at ITC and, and we'll definitely have a good time there. Perfect. So listeners, man, you know, I, I, I dig the, the story behind this technology. I, I, I like Ron. I, I think that it's, it's a fun, cool company. And it's something that you should have an awareness of. Um, if you're not doing policy checking, then obviously you, you're, you're opening yourself up to E&O. But that's just the reality of life, right? And, and some agencies can't do it. Um, if you are doing policy checking, you should definitely give this a hard look. And, and again, we talk about soul-sucking tasks, removing stuff that our staff hates to do and uh, reallocating them to more effective positions. This might be an option for you. And, um, you know, to have, have a tool that was created to solve these very specific problems that then was pivoted. And like Ron said, I think this is the very beginning where this grows to. Uh, you know, the better sooner that you can start to leverage this kind of stuff, the more effective you're going to be at, at netting the value out of it. So, Ron, thank you so much for joining me today, man. It was awesome. Listeners, if you guys want to check out our LinkedIn group, it's the Digital Broker Podcast on LinkedIn. We'd love to see you in there. We're, we're always kind of noodling on what the heck to do with it. But a big shout out to Indio. Thanks again, Indio. If you guys don't know him, check him out, www.useindio.com. And we will talk to you later. Thanks for listening. This podcast is brought to you by Indio Technologies. Indio simplifies the insurance application process for brokers and their clients. When using Indio, the process is fast, easy, and ENO free, saving your agency time and money. You can learn more about Indio and register for a one on one demo at www.useindio.com slash podcast. That's www.useindio.com slash podcast.